First and Second Amendment, powered by the people to fight the Freedom of Disinformation Act in the 21st century and beyond. Firing like a bullet from the badlands of Texas all the way around the world into the earbuds in your ears. This is your captain speaking. Keep your tray tables up, the seat of your chairs straight up. I hope your hair is drying, your pants are up, because we are ready to depart. You are listening, or you are watching Midnight Radio. Hello, everybody. How are you doing? I hope you're doing all right. We got some information about the Idaho Four. First off, though, I would like to thank our executive producer, Lady Lisa. Lady Lisa, thank you very much. I'd also like to thank Grant, although he told me never to thank him because he's a, he's a little bit shy, I guess. I guess we all are. Hello, friends. How are you doing? Woo. All right, let's talk about this Idaho Four case, shall we? Let me just go right to this News Nation. I believe, no, 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 it's NBC or ABC or one of the C's, one of the alphabets. And then we're going to talk about the latest thing that is, are we five seconds in yet? Yes, we are. Pissing people off around the world who have been covering the Idaho 4 case and who have been watching the Idaho 4 case. Man, let me go to this clip. I almost want to play it full screen, but I won't. No, I won't. Come on now. Prosecutors in Idaho say a secret grand jury has indicted the suspect in the murder of four University of Idaho students. The Lata County District Court clerk tells ABC News the grand jury returned a multi-count indictment against Brian Koberger, including four counts of first-degree murder. He's accused of stabbing four University of Idaho students to death in an off-campus home. ABC's Kena Whitworth has been tracking this story for us. She joins me now along with ABC News legal contributor Brian Buckmeyer for more. Kena, how significant is this indictment? Well, look, Diane, it's huge. This is really the first step in the legal process. And this grand jury indictment now foregoes the preliminary hearing that we all had marked on our calendars for the end of June. So we heard this morning from the Lataw County District County Clerk, again, confirming that a grand jury in Moscow, Idaho, has returned a multi-count indictment against Brian Koberger. And that includes murder in the first degree of which he was facing four counts. You also have to remember he was facing that felony burglary count as well for entering a home, breaking into a home with the intent to commit murder. So what happens with this grand jury is that the jurors don't actually determine guilt here, right? They just are determining the probable cause to see if this will go to trial. So when he enters his plea, if that plea is not guilty, then a trial date will be set. And it's also important to keep in mind here that with this grand jury, it doesn't have to be a unanimous decision. And you have to think about the prosecution making this decision here. When this happens, it means that the process all right i'm gonna stop it right there i'm gonna put a link to this full video in case you should want to watch it i'm putting in the show notes if you don't want to watch it, you don't have to and that's why i stopped it there i don't want to force you to if you want to watch my show to have to watch their show i'm not going to do it not gonna do it i'll tell you what i am going to do though let's look at the story because i want to make sure we get this straight i reported on this early in the morning i caught it about an hour after it happened and then uh, some people went live on youtube about it and um this one aspect is confusing see grand jury indicts brian kohlberger damn it why did i say kohlberger it's kohlberger Nothing. If I try to say anything but nothing burger, I just can't say it. It's like I have some kind of um, 
mental blockage. You know, the reason why is because you have to type his name a lot. You say it in your mind, Co-Berger, so you don't misspell it. All right, anyway. Yes, that's straight-up coffee I'm drinking. All right. So did he go, did he have a secret grand jury that indicted him already? All right. Or this Monday, is he, what, what, what the hell is going on this Monday? All right, let's, let's go through this. All right. It says the multi-count indictment includes first degree murder. The, the Latah County District Court clerk confirmed we will appear for his arraignment in Moscow, Idaho, on Monday. And that's where he enters his plea. All right, so they indicted him. That means he is going to go to trial. All right? We're going to talk about that on here, about what has changed for him because of that. All right? Now that he, you know, we were all expecting him, on the 26th, to have his hearing you know, for his indictment, right? Nope. They held that behind closed doors. That was a secret. Now let's talk about why. It's come to my attention, and I've been informed that this is because, I mean, in order for this to happen, it had to be signed off on by the defense also, all right? So that's Brian's side. So they both wanted it, the the uh, both parties. So this is interesting. You know, there's a theory that I've heard, but that it is not popular, and I don't even know if anyone else has even said it yet. But somebody could have came to Mr. Nothingberg and said, hey, we're going to take your life. This is what we have. This is open and shut. And I suggest you talk to your lawyer and I'm going to offer you a plea deal. You plead guilty. We're going to go ahead and get this through. You'll find out if this is true on Monday. You plead guilty and we won't take your life. Otherwise, it's life in prison. But I guarantee you, it won't be one day. It won't be seven. It won't be a hundred days. If you step foot in that court, we will take your life with the evidence we have. You know it. And that could be why. They could be, I've, I've, somebody asked me, and I, I think they did it rudely, but I mean, that was my first initial impression. Uh, it was a question that somebody asked me in the comment section. I felt it was rude. What do you think now about the, the jury or something? I don't know. And uh, I'm like, I don't know. I think that if they knew he was going to plead guilty and he took it, but he's going to officially plead on Monday, it makes sense that they did this behind closed doors, right? Because there's no need anymore for the, the, the funk. Bethany Funk, they had a deal for her to uh, meet with the defense in, in uh, Utah. They don't need that anymore. That is null and void because we never got to that. Also, the press requesting for this not to be under a gag order anymore, that's pretty much null and void because the damn trial is going to be over before that can go up to the to the highest court in Idaho. So these are the things that are affected. Some people are saying 
Some people say that the Idaho court system, justice system, is being very shady. And I'm not arguing for or against that. But if he, if they know ahead of time, and believe, believe me, if he was going to plead guilty and he took a plea deal, they would know and you would not. And, that's, and if he is guilty and that's the absolute best that he can do, I believe Ann Taylor would advise him and tell him, you know what, that's a pretty good deal so, because sometimes it is. And a lot of people like to throw around the word narcissist and narcissist. It's very rare that you see a true narcissist here either in the court system, you know, or on some YouTube commentator talking about it or hell, even some YouTube commentator talking about another YouTube commentator. But uh, if you did it, let's say like Ted Bundy, man, that was an example of an extreme narcissist. There's many serial killers, you know, Ramirez, I could go on. There's a lot of serial killers who don't double, triple, quadruple down to, you know, the very day that they die just because they think that they're smart enough to get away with it. But to do that and then, you know, for it to be so obvious that you did it at the end, I mean, that that's a true narcissist, and there was no bigger narcissist than Ted Bundy. I'm saying there's a possibility the reason why this happened so early is because he took a plea deal, all right? And he hasn't had, and you're not going to know until Monday when he pleads, which we'll report on it right here. Uh, Very interesting. We're going to keep looking at this case Uh, through the grapevine. This story broke and they're just now reporting on the mainstream media an hour ago. We reported it like five or six hours ago, if not more. And uh, that's on our community page. So if you haven't yet, you're going to want to subscribe And you're going to want to hit that bell so you can join in the conversation. So you can be the first to know these things before the mainstream media. And I know you might look at other uh, people on YouTube that pop up and, um, you know, do a video as soon as something happens. I like to get a little bit more information. I like to get video clips on mine. So I wait sometimes. But what I don't wait on is I don't wait on putting it on a community post. And if you hit that bell, you're going to get that. All right. Okay, and also, if you're a member of our group here, um, we have three levels. We have, um, what's what's the first level? Midnight Supporter. That's if you, $2.99 a month, you just want to support the work we do. We have a Midnighter. That's $4.99 a month. And that's if you want to join our Discord and get exclusive videos and exclusive live streams a month. If you want to do that, that's $4.99. And that also gets you into our Discord. And that's the first place I go with all my information. That's where I get a lot of information. There's things I talk about there that I can't talk about here on YouTube. And also, if you want to join our writing group where we teach you how to how to write, how to write articles, teach you how to work with new AI writing tools, how teach you how to get started on writing that book that you always wanted to write and how to know if it's good. What are the steps? What are the processes? How the business works? That is what that that's for. That's called Midnight Writers. That's what that is for. And Midnight, Midnight and above, you get access to Discord. So I just wanted to let you know that. 
Just wanted to let you know. I've got a lot of other stories that are very pressing that I want to let you know. And this is a story that we've been covering here for a while now. And that is the Cash App founder, Bob Lee. Now, the thing about Bob Lee is this. Man, if it wasn't for that guy, uh, man, it would make it really hard to do what we do here. Because a lot of you uh, help us with Cash Apps. Now, if you want to. And you like this content again, it is Cash App Dollar Sign Midnight Radio 101. But check out this new information. They found out about Bob Lee, the founder of Cash App's Murderer, and his lifestyle. Um, they have the specifics around the events leading to Bob Lee's murder. And I want to just take this opportunity before they come up and provide the, the details that they are able to share with the public to really thank the San Francisco Police Department and the investigators who bring any homicide or any violence is always brought uh, the same attention is brought to ensure that justice is served and working hand in hand with our district attorney um, has been the incredible work that they've done together to ensure that this case was handled appropriately. And meanwhile, we know that this has been a high-profile case, and there have been a a lot of speculation and a lot of things said about our city and and crime in this city. But these two leaders have been extremely responsible in their handling of this case. So at this time, I would like to turn... First of all, I'd like to express my deepest condolences to the family. On April 4th, 2023, at approximately 2.30 a.m., San Francisco police officers from Southern Station responded to the 300 block of Main Street for a report of a stabbing. Officers arrived on scene and located... and located the victim, later identified as 43-year-old Robert Lee, suffering from an apparent stab wound. Officers rendered aid and summoned medics to the scene. Mr. Lee was transported to Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital with life-threatening injuries. Despite efforts by first responders and medical personnel, Mr. Lee died from his injuries. The San Francisco Police Department homicide detail responded and took over the investigation. Our homicide investigators developed information that identified the suspect as 38-year-old Nima Momini of Emeryville, California. We can confirm that Mr. Lee and Mr. Momini knew each other. However, we will not be able to provide further details at this time regarding the evidence that confirms that information. All right, well, I have new information about it. Momini, Momini, Mini, Momini, Banana, Nana, Fofini, Any. All right. So this is more information that they got. Um, uh, you can't see it really well. Do you want to see it very well? All right. So his autopsy has come back. It reveals that he had cocaine in his system, ketamine, and alcohol in his system when he was stabbed multiple times in the San Francisco parking lot in April. Uh, what was it, Lee Momini? Uh, no, Lee. Lee also had the anti-allergy drug, an anti-allergy drug in his system. And some of the drugs can have bad reactions with alcohol and ketamine. 
Lee's suspected killer Bay Area outsourcing entrepreneur named Nina Momini, 38, allegedly confronted him about parting too hard with his sister hours before the stabbing. A witness told police that Momini and Lee had gotten into an argument earlier in the day evening with a suspected killer confronting the tech mogul for allegedly using drugs with his sister. Lee was a member of a wealthy clique known as The Lifestyle. So was, I can't say that name, his uh, sister, she's 37, the suspect's sister and the wife of a prominent plastic surgeon. She had ominously texted Lee saying, he handled himself with class after her brother allegedly came way down hard on him shortly before his death. There's a picture of her, if you can see it. A spokesperson for Lee's family told Fox News Digital that parts of the report were highly inaccurate but declined to comment further. Kazar Momeni's brother... Nima Momini, who is yelling in San Francisco and has not yet been arraigned, was a drug user himself, but not a member of the exclusive group. Okay. According to the report, but in addition to an alleged casual dalliance with his sister, Lee had also previously slept with one of his suspected killer's exes. Oh, my. Oh, my. You guys, if you don't know, if you're watching this and you're a you know, a subscriber to the channel, that makes you part of an elite group called a Fruit Loop. You're a Fruit Loop. You're one of the Fruit Loops. So if you're jealous of this group, don't worry. We got you covered. Lawyers for Kazar Mini reportedly denied rumors circulating around this case. Police arrested Momini April 13th at his Emeryville home across the Bay Bridge from where Lee called 911, begging for help after he was stabbed three times April 4th. Shanked. After the late-night argument, he was stabbed through the heart and was seen stumbling down Main Street in San Francisco's Hill neighborhood where he begged passers-by for help and called 911 himself. Nothing you can do. You can't put pressure on a broken heart, people. He died in the hospital where doctors performed an emergency thoracotomy. Oh, jeez, I didn't know about this. A cut through the rib cage and attempt to treat his wounds. Holy jeez. I didn't know you could do that. Lee met Kazarmo many hours before his death, according to court documents, which alleged that investigators pieced together the crime with help from surveillance video from her apartment building in nearby. I'll put a link to this report on the web, well, on the website, on uh, below the video in the description below. And I also want to tell you, while I'm thinking about it, let me tell you about this. Yes, this is taped before a live YouTube audience, but I want to tell you this. If you want higher quality video and higher quality audio, it is not that our show is low quality. But you can subscribe to the podcast and Spotify and you'll get it with higher audio quality and higher video quality. Then you'll get on YouTube because that's YouTube's fault. That is the nature of the beast of doing lives or transmitting. Anyway, if you want to get in higher quality Go ahead, and it's free, by the way. Go to my About page here on YouTube and subscribe to Spotify. I also put extra things on there just for Spotify people because I love them so much. True story. All right, guys. These are the stories I was telling you about yesterday that were way out there. 
Matter of fact, if they're so out there that I'm not allowed to play them on YouTube, you're going to see a little edit thing. Instead of that part of the story I'm going to talk about, you're going to see this video. You know, the one that says it's too spicy for, I'm not going to play it. It says it's too spicy for YouTube. And that means that this part will be edited out and you're only be able to get it on Spotify. Sorry, guys, I can't help it. YouTube likes to censor. And I like to deliver the news, and I'm not going to self-censor myself. I don't have to. i got a private streaming platform, uh, NoAgendaTV. Awesome. NoAgendaTube, sorry. Powered by NoAgendaTube. Right to MidnightRad.io, my website. And also Spotify. I don't have to be censored, and neither do you. I'm going to give you the information if you want to get it. But check this out. Check it out. Go ahead. Check it out. Story creeps me out, y'all. Brian Kohlberger, no. What is this? Hold on. Oh, I was on the wrong page. Ex-Navy officer charged with murder of wife who was found dismembered in Georgia woods. You guys remember this? Let me, let's go over it again. So a former Naval officer has been arrested and charged with the grisly killing of his rider wife whose dismembered remains were found scattered in the Georgia woods. Nicholas James Cazadas, 40, was taken to custody Friday. Charges including felony murder and assault in the death of Mindy Cazadas. The Georgia Bureau of GBI, they said that in the news release, they just found the body, they matched the DNA to her, and that's when these charges were brought and they arrested him last Friday. Her remains were found in December throughout a three-mile radius in the woods of a hunting club. Now, this was December, and they're just now getting her DNA back. Fascinating. The GBI received help in the investigation from the FBI, who conducted genealogy testing on the remains. Not the first time we heard about that. Swabs were obtained from family members to ultimately identify her. So that he made it, just so you know, there wasn't very much left of the body for them to identify. Any other way we're talking teeth? Did they even find the head? We're going to find out. He was taken into custody. He also goes by the name Nicholas Stark, he was taken into custody in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, where he's awaiting extradition to Georgia. He's further charged with malice murder. I've never heard that before. I wish we had a lawyer here to explain that one. Tampering with evidence and removal of body parts from the scene of death or dismemberment. They previously said that testing determined the remains were placed in the area on or around November 27th. Four months, her her identity was a mystery and police released a composite sketch with the hopes of identifying her. It took about six months for her to be ultimately identified. This is the picture that they put out of her. Let me see if I can get you a bigger one of it. All right. This is her real picture there on the left. And this is her uh, composite artist sketch from her remains on the right. Not bad. Not bad. So, 
Oh, you can't see that? All right, here we go. Try this. Is that better? There you go. That's her real life picture on the left and her composite sketch on the right. See, uh, the only thing that they got was a little bit of uh, the chin is a little bit different in the aging. And of course, there's no ears, but yeah, there you go. So what does this mean now? Here's a story. So she was 40. She was living in Savannah with her husband at the time of her death. And they said they got married in Virginia in 2016, according to the couple's wedding announcement. The wedding announcement described her as a writer and business owner and him as a former former judge advocate in the judge advocate courts of the U.S. Navy. He was commissioned in June of 2006 and separated from the Navy. In August 2019, he most recently worked in the Navy Reserve in Washington, D.C. from uh, 2017 to 2019. He's scheduled to appear in Lancaster County Court of Common Pleas for a waiver of extradition hearing on Friday. It's not immediately clear if he has a lawyer. I'm going to continue to cover this as we go along here. All the links to everything I'm going over is going to be in the show notes. Now, another thing we've been sharing here on Midnight Radio, and I told you this was going to happen more and more and more, our... Let's see. Can I say this on YouTube? I actually have to stop and think that. Let me think. Can I say the word unlifing? Murder unlifings on YouTube? I'm not sure. You might get that cute little video right here. Let's see. Three family members found dead in Fairbanks home in apparent murder-suicide, police say. Three family members were found dead inside Fairbanks home Sunday evening in what appears to be a murder-suicide. And the reason why we say that these are going to continue to happen and get worse is because families are, it traditionally happens when the economy is really bad. And I'm talking, um, I'm talking, um, the level that this is being covered up is amazing. I think the whole jobs report is fabricated. I really do. Uh, we wouldn't be in, in, uh, the, our country wouldn't be pushed on the edge of default if there was plenty of jobs and a lot of money going around. And yet they're reporting massive layoffs in every entertainment section, which is always the first to go down, by the way. The entertainment sections, uh, also news reporting, are the first to lay people off, and then it floods out from them. Oh, also, Tyson's having problem. We're talking about people that can't afford meat, yet the economy's great. Bullshit. When that happens and people get laid off and they get put to the end of their rope, you'll normally see they'll have six to eight months, usually until you know their uh, money reserves are exhausted. And then they take their family's life and their life. I'd like to say that if you are suffering mentally, seek some help. If somebody's listening to this, please put up a number where people can seek help. Three family members were found dead inside a Fairbanks home Sunday evening in what appears to be a murder-suicide. Officers responding to a request for a welfare check found the bodies of Linda and Wesley Dunbar, both 64 and 36-year-old Nancy Dunbar. The Fairbanks Police Department said in release Monday the three were a husband, wife, and daughter who lived together in the home on McCarty Avenue.
Officers responding to a request for a welfare check found the bodies. The three appeared to have been dead for at least several weeks. They died from gunshot wounds. Somebody who knew them and hadn't heard from them in quite a while called the emergency dispatch at about 8.15 p.m. Sunday to ask officers to check on the family. There had been no official reports that any of the Dunbars were missing. Let's see, what, what day of the week are we? Wednesday. Wow, Wednesday. The gun was recovered at the scene. The state medical examiner will conduct an autopsy. Police said anybody with additional information, contact Lieutenant Amy Davis, 907-450-6565. The department encouraged anyone with thoughts of suicide to call the free 988 Suicide and Crisis Hotline. I don't know if that is just there within Anchorage, Alaska or Fairbanks. I'm not sure. We also don't know yet who who is the one that committed the murder-suicide yet. More information on that, I'm sure, will be forthcoming. Let me play this for you. Murder after investigators are facing charges of child abuse and attempted murder after investigators say they lock their 10 year old child in a bedroom for days with no food and no water. 11 Alive's Cody Alcorn is alive for us this evening in Griffin. And Cody, we understand there were several other children living in that same home. Yeah, Jennifer, we learned that there were five kids actually living in this two-story home here behind me on Westminster Circle. There's the 10-year-old, which police say has been severely abused for years, but just moments ago, a neighbor told me there was a 14-year-old living here who they have not seen since January. During a news conference this afternoon, police would not directly talk about the possibility of that missing child, but said their investigation is still underway and it's very early in the process. What they did describe was horrific abuse to the 10-year-old boy living with the Shinleys. Warrants state not only did Krista and Tyler Shinley uh, put old bruises and new marks on this child, but they say this kid only weighed 36 pounds. They say the couple was starving this child to death. On Friday, somehow the 10-year-old managed to escape and was found by a neighbor saying he was hungry and begging not to be taken back home. We aren't releasing any photos of this child for obvious reasons, but I will tell you the photos are absolutely horrible. And anyone with a human heart that looks at them should be shaken to their core. It is a heartbreaking case how anyone can do this to a child. Now, coming up at 11, I talked to a neighbor. I'm actually standing in their yard right now. They had a very bizarre run-in with this couple and this child that is missing right after that major tornado hit this area back in January. Wait till you hear what they said and why they think something more sinister may have happened inside this home here behind me. I don't know about you, but I want to know. Let's see. Do we have any more of that information? All right. So it said, correction, arrest uh, records originally indicated the parents were charged with murder. Officials in Griffin said in an afternoon press conference, those charges were listed in error. They're accused of attempting malice murder, so they tried trying to murder. Wow. 
See, there's another video here. The child was described as very small and thin, weighing 36 pounds for a 10-year-old. 36 pounds for a 10-year-old. I can't believe it. He was being treated in the hospital for malnutrition and a low heart rate, but was in stable condition. So this was a non... I can't imagine. Why? There's nothing a 10-year-old could do to merit that kind of treatment, much less anybody, much less your own child. It's important to point this evil out. It is, um, it says the parents locked the juvenile child inside his bedroom, leaving the child alone in the residence for extended periods of time on multiple occasions with no access to lights, food, clothing, or adult interaction or assistance. Can you, have you ever been in this situation in your life? And a lot of us haven't. And me in my life, most of my life I hadn't, but where you didn't have enough food and you didn't have heat. This happened to me in college, by the way, when I was in college, you know, for, I think a lot of you are soft. I'm going to be honest. A lot of you watching this are soft. You have soft lives. If you have an internet connection, you're watching me. Our lives are pretty soft, right? At this moment, it might not have been that way forever, but when you get to the point where you don't have food and you don't have, you don't have, and you don't have enough heat, it does something to your heart and it does something to your soul. So to imagine to be somebody locked in a room, locked in a house with no, no heat, no food, no electricity, no light. I can't imagine, especially to be 10 years old. He had no food, clothing, as well as no hot or warm running water, no outside view, no toilet paper, no electronic communication, no human interaction. They also made physical contact with the juvenile victim, causing him several injuries. Their charges include criminal attempt to commit a felony, Felonies being malice, murder, and second-degree murder, false imprisonment, simple battery and battery, family violence, cruelty to children in the first, second, and third. There was a news conference. Wow. Just incredible. Let me watch a little bit of this video to make sure. That uh, fact versus fiction. Eleven one. All right, nice commercial there for I don't know what. All right, this is just their news report. This is like one hell of a commercial. The hell's going on here? Oh. This was uh, the news conference. I'll put a link to this. Uh, there's something else I need to talk to you about right now, and it had. Your girl, Ashley Banfield, in it. She didn't break this story. She's been doing a real good job covering it. I don't care what you say about Ashley. Some of you like her. Some of you don't. I'm going to tell you right now. I thought I had this prepped and ready to go. Let me grab it for you. All right, yeah. This is uh, more about McFadden. There's more information coming out. Shocking information. Join Happy Hour. They're always wanting to 
always wanting to commercial you up here. With Jesse McFadden's mom. She girl. Ready for this? Ashley Banfield. Sheriff's investigator told a judge. This was in a request for a search warrant. That All right. So before I play this. So the news came out that Jesse McFadden's mother was connected, was contacted by him on the phone where he was talking about wanting to commit suicide. This is after he'd after he had already committed suicide and murdered everybody in that house after possibly sexually abusing them, although there were signs that they were chained up. All right, we don't know yet. That hasn't came out. All right, but everybody's suspecting that uh, he did sexual things for him. We don't know. But his mother was interviewed after that, and she said she had no idea. Well, it comes to light that he called her before he committed this, and he told her that he was was thinking about committing suicide. It also came out that Jesse McFadden's wife is a liar, And when she was being divorced, she put on the paperwork that she had no minor children. This is when she was already in a relationship with Jesse McFadden. And they wouldn't have been allowed to have a relationship had she put on that she had minor children. That's how he was allowed to be around minor children in his house. She's going to break it down for you right now. Go ahead, Ashley. Didn't mean to steal your thunder. Start with Jesse McFadden's mom. Ready for this? Sheriff's investigator told a judge, this was in a request for a search warrant, that Jesse McFadden called his mommy on the evening of April 30th. She said mommy. And talked to LaDonna McFadden, that's she mommy, about killing himself. LaDonna McFadden told a, a reporter, like a couple days later, after the massacre, the mass suicide that he committed, and then the you know mass murder suicide, um, she said to the reporter, "My heart is breaking for the victims. I don't understand it. I never ever would have expected anything like this." And yet, she told a sheriff's investigator that that monster called her on the evening of April thirtieth, talked about killing himself. So that's pretty new, pretty shocking. Also, some other exclusive information tonight: uh, that Oklahoma farmhouse that was being rented to Jesse McFadden by a landlord named Raymond Paget. Raymond had no legal authorization to rent that house because he was in an ugly divorce with his estranged wife, and that wow. thing was in receivership, which meant he wasn't supposed to rent or collect rent uh, of any property. Hard times, alone man, hard this times. So this was an illegal rental. Bastard. Did he know that he was renting illegally to a guy who was a sex offender with teenage kids that were going to live in the house? Did he? He didn't do it back. Is there a reason why he callously demanded get your stuff and get out of here to those victims' family members who came to figure out what happened? Paget has quite a criminal past himself. It turns out, assault and battery with a dangerous weapon, domestic abuse, all in April of 2012, and then in January of 2006, another assault and battery. All right, there's that. Then there's Holly. What did Holly know before? And what could she have done to change what happened to her and her family and those two visiting kids? What? What? Well, it turns out that she did a few deceptive things in her past. When she was Boom. getting a divorce from her previous husband, Joe Guest, tell him, they filed documents that said there are no minor children of the marriage and none are expected. Problem with that is, is that the divorce notice was December 2021 and they've been married for 13 years. 
And Holly had a 13-year-old, a 15-year-old, and a 17-year-old. So there's a real good chance that that little Tiffany at 13 was theirs. And there is a chance as well that Michael at 15 was theirs as well. Why would they lie? She'd already moved in with the sex offender. Was this a possible reason to lie? You don't say anything about us having kids, and maybe you can get out of child support? I don't know. Maybe. But they lied. Both of them. All right. The full video is going to be right there in the show notes. Man, this McFadden murder. Suicide is going on in Oklahoma right now. More and more comes out about this, and I want to point this out. This is being come to the front of the news. Uh, I want to suggest this to you, that this isn't the worst thing that's going on right now, but it's being pushed up to the front, rightfully so. You're interested in it. Hell, I'm interested in it. It's not that far from where I'm at. It's right in, uh, I think, Dealey Pickle's backyard. It's horrifying. These things that are going on behind closed doors. We have to prevent this, things like this from happening in the future. These kids know no other way of life. That 10-year-old whose parents were abusing him gravely didn't, doesn't know any better. That is what he knew life being like. And there's other instances going on. And as a neighbor, I mean, what can you do? I mean, you see something's going on. You can report it. Usually nothing happens. Uh, the, the root of the rod of this problem is in the legal system. What can a police department do? And nobody wants it to be too easy because I've heard a lot of reports of people trying to take their kids. If someone calls CPS just because they don't like them. So let's have this discussion. This is a discussion we need to have, but it's different between an ordinary citizen, you know, who has children and someone who is a sex offender. There should be a heightened burden on their lives that is not currently there. Or maybe, and maybe we'll find this in the conversation, because of the heightened burden on their lives, this is why they can do things illegally and in secret. They have no other way to live, right? This is why they can uh, rent property illegally because they have to. They have to seek out a network of uh, former cons, former felons to be able to get by, somebody who doesn't care, somebody that needs the money. And we're talking about dudes that aren't afraid to lie on their applications for jobs either. All right. We're talking about probably the hardest core felons that are out there because they have to to continue to survive when they get out. They can't just work hard in jobs that other people don't want. So let's really think about this. Really think about this. There's a lot of you, some of you out there, maybe not the people that are in the true crime community, but maybe some of you, maybe some um, white hat hackers who uh, have ways of surveilling these people. Maybe that needs to continue and, and deepen. Let's have a conversation about this. What should be done? Should it be some, should we allow the government to come up with the solutions or should we take it upon ourselves we need to talk about this because it's continuing to go on. Check this out right here. Come on. This happened in Kalamazoo. And I'm trying to pull it up. 
Kalamazoo County. Come on, Ashley. Come on, Ashley. Okay, I'm still trying to pull up Kalamazoo. I might come back to that. None of these stories get better, everybody. I want to let you know that. These stories, well, this one's a little bit better. No. Teen confesses to 2015 murder of a man found buried underneath concrete in a Florida backyard. Now, we talked about this before. This is an update to the case, and it might be different than you thought it was going to turn out. I know it surprised me. Murder attorneys for uh, Lori Shaver saying that someone else killed Such her husband. Lady. Shaver was arrested in 2020, be accused she of killing Michael lady. Shaver. And Amanda McKenzie yeah, is joining us live this morning. Amanda, new evidence coming to light this morning revolving around a child. That's right. So the defense attorneys for Lori Shaver have motioned to have a minor child evaluated because they say that girl confessed to the murder in this case. Now, the the child would have been seven years old at the time of the murder. However, Lake County deputies say Lori Shaver killed her husband. All right. So they don't specify this in this video. That the girl that would have been seven at the time she's confessing now at 14 was actually the daughter that lived in that house and she would have been seven at the time. The mother says the daughter and the daughter is confessing that she is the one that killed him in self-defense or third-party defense because she saw him attacking the mother. And at seven years old, she shot him. Could this be proven forensically? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, you know, uh, or at least provide reasonable doubt. Or it might just be a plot to get off, to get off, you know, and surely the daughter would have less of a sentence. Michael Shaver back in November of 2015 and buried his body under a concrete slab in their backyard while she moved on with another man. In 2018, investigators were called to the home to do a well-being check on Michael, but had to come back with a search. She just happened to have another man, you know, okay. Nothing suspicious there. Warrant. That's when Michael's body was found buried under that concrete slab in the backyard. Investigators say Lori got married after Michael's body was buried and that she sold his guns, tools, and other items. Lori sure was arrested did. in September 20. 20- She's a sweet thing. A 20 and charged with murder in the second degree with a firearm and accessory after the fact. Lori was released from jail three months later in December 2020 to await trial. Now, the motion says the girl now 14 has expressed her desire to testify multiple times and that the defense is claiming that the state has been against letting her present her testimony at trial. Now, her trial is still yet to happen, but there is another hearing scheduled for this morning at 9 a.m. All right. Now that was this morning, and that was a couple days ago, yesterday. So let's see. Lake County, Florida. See if there's any updates to this. Uh, The paperwork is here. Do you guys think that the child is actually the one that did that? If she is, I think the mother put her up to it. Just saying. Updated 9.14 a.m. I don't see an update, though. Where's your update? Damn it. Heard of his? I guess. Shibbity dibbity. Oh, damn it. This hasn't been updated. You lied to me. Still waiting for them to update. We will update you here. Oh, snap. 
That one page never read. Okay, here we go. This one is off the chain, guys. This happened in Kalamazoo. What you know about some Kalamazoo? Woman pleads guilty to attempted murder of her mother in Kalamazoo County. Odd enough for a par- for a child to murder their parent, but to do it in such a crackheaded way. A woman pleaded guilty to attempting to kill her mother by stabbing her and setting her on fire. Okay. Alexis Vanderson, 22, pleaded guilty to assault with intent to murder. May 1st in Kalamazoo County Circuit Court. Charges of unlawful imprisonment with torture were dismissed by the court. What? She will be sentenced to a minimum of three and a half years, according to sentencing agreement in court. Here we go. Allegedly, Vanderson stabbed her 51-year-old mother with a pocket knife and burned her with rubbing alcohol at her mother's home near Melrose and Carlton Avenues. Very regal names. Police responding to the home. Found Vanderson in the basement sitting on top of her mother. According to a probable cause affidavit, the mother had visible stab wounds and said Vanderson stabbed and burned her. The mother told police she walked to the bed to grab rolling papers and Vanderson started squirting rubbing alcohol at her face. Vanderson was using a lighter to attempt to set the rubbing alcohol on fire, the mother told police. A stream of burning alcohol hit the mother in the face, lighting her face and hair on fire. Oh my. Vanderson is scheduled to be sentenced June the 5th. Her bond was canceled and she's in the Kalamazoo jail. Holy Moses. Moving right along. All right, this one is uh, something else, too. This is a recent story. All this happening in May 15th was a hell of a day. I'll tell you that. I'm going to have to re- re-upload this. All right, here we go. And their search for the suspect. We're learning more tonight about who the two women were. Police continue their investigation and their search for the suspect. We're learning more tonight about who the two women were. W-A-T-E, six on your sides. Molly O'Brien. All right. So this was two 20-year-olds were murdered, 2021-ish. They were murdered in Knoxville, Tennessee. And I think it was in the process of home robbery. they've They've since caught the guy. But check this video out. Brian spoke with one of the victim's family members about this terrible tragedy and how they are remembering her life. You took two beautiful young women away from their families. There's two mothers with broken hearts right now. On Saturday morning, the Knoxville Police Department received a call that there was someone with a gun inside a home on Woodlawn Pike. KPD crisis negotiators attempted to contact anyone inside the home. There was no response. Officers entered to find 22-year-old Madison Johnson and 20-year-old Heidi Johnson dead. I actually got a call from my best friend Taylor and... He told me that there were two bodies found at um, at a house and that 
he was worried it might be Heidi. Chris Cameron, Heidi's boyfriend, says he met her a few years ago through social media. When we first met, we fell in love instantly. I've, al I've always known how much she loved me and how much I meant to her. Cassidy Johnson is Heidi's older sister. She says a 20-year-old had a magnetic personality. She was so full of life and she was so beautiful and she could make anybody love her. She would drive you crazy sometimes. But she knew what she wanted. Like, she knew who she was. Cameron describes his girlfriend as having one of the biggest hearts. She's so nice. She literally would give you the shirt off her back. And that's why I just... That's why I just... Memories of Heidi replaying in Cameron's head. She just... Just loved me so much, and I just I knew that she really knew how much I loved her and how much I meant to her. And right before she passed away, four days before that, uh, she came stay night with me. We went out to the movies, went out to eat, to eat, and just had a good time. Just showed her how much I'll I fast really loved her. Just a little bit to where they caught the guy. It's on your side. As we said earlier, the search for 26-year-old J.R. Romario Martin continues tonight. Martin has warrants for two counts of first-degree murder in connection with the shooting. KPD says Martin left the scene Saturday. He was on foot. Anyone with information regarding his whereabouts is urged to contact the East Tennessee Valley Crime Stoppers. You can do so by calling the number on your screen, 865-215-7165. You can also call with your cell phone, Star Star Tips. I'm going to see if there's any updates to this story right here man found surely not let's see they found the suspect he's been charged okay all right they know who it is but they haven't found him yet got you so this is a crime committed by three juveniles charged in killing of a New Brunswick taxi driver in Franklin. Of course, this is in New Jersey, right? Am I right? Three teenagers, a 14-year-old from the Somerset section, and two 13-year-olds. Let's get to the story. I've been arrested in connection with robbing and fatally shooting a taxi driver in the head. The 14-year-old and 13-year-old from New Brunswick were both charged as juveniles with murder, felony murder, conspiracy to commit murder, and robbery, all first-degree crimes, as well as conspiracy to commit robbery, unlawful possession of a weapon, and possession of a weapon for an unlawful purpose. All second-degree crimes and possession of a firearm by a minor, a fourth-degree crime, the other 13-year-old was charged under juvenile statutes with robbery, a first-degree crime, and conspiracy to commit a robbery, a second-degree crime. It's going on in New Jersey, New Brunswick, New Jersey, right. All right. This one is way too spicy for YouTube for sure, but I'm going to go ahead and go over it, but not with you. Texas man allegedly held teen at gunpoint, forced him to perform sex acts. This is a report as reported on by Fox News. 
A Texas man allegedly made a 13-year-old boy perform sex acts on him at gunpoint earlier this month. The man was William Beckham. He's charged with aggravated assault of a child. Authorities said the boy was walking May 4th under an overpass in Irving when Beckham approached him. The teen said Beckham offered him a ride to Walmart to get a drink, but instead took him to an empty parking lot. Beckman... Beckham pulled out a gun and forced the boy to perform various sex acts on him. He drove the teen home and threatened him not to tell anyone without, and he told him what would happen if he did. According to the arrest documents, the teen told investigators about Beckham's tattoos during questioning. While searching inmate photos from the Dallas County Jail, investigators found Beckham, who was, you know, had those same matching tattoos. The teen did identify him as the assailant. Investigators are asking anyone who may have had a similar encounter with Beckham to notify him. Here's some comments people made about it. In the comments section, that crime is becoming eligible for the death sentence in Florida. Thank you, Ron DeSantis, and hopefully other states will copy that move. Another Biden voter that abuses kids needs to be hung in the city square for all the witness. These are some rough comments, right? Again, I didn't make these up. I'm just reporting on them. Not worth a single 22, a road flare comes to mind or tied down over an anthill. Another passenger that needs to go to the train station, call Rip. Turnabout is fair play once he gets to prison. Why is this thing still alive? Definitely a rainbow Biden voter. Why is this? I guess this is because it's on Fox News. People are talking like this. All right. Going to the next story. Kentucky college student drugged and raped after a night out in Nashville. Suspects allegedly used victim's debit card for $12 purchase at Waffle House. Two Tennessee men are accused of drugging and raping a Kentucky college student in downtown Nashville and using her debit card at a Waffle House. Metro Nashville Police Department officials said they have identified Joseph Farmer, 36, and Trevor Castile, 27, of Chattanooga as the two suspects in the alleged rape and fraud. The victim, an 18-year-old college student. She told investigators that she believed she was drugged at a popular bar and music venue called Honky Talk Central on Nashville's famous Broadway Street. Again, she is 18 years old. What was she doing there? And was she there to drink? On May 4th, prior to interacting with the suspects, she says she remembers the two suspects sexually assaulting her and driving her around in a Jeep Grand Cherokee that evening. She also said they used her debit card at an ATM. The victim's debit card history included a 8322 charge at a Shell gas station and a $12 charge at a Waffle House. Can two people eat for $12 at Waffle House? The suspects eventually allowed the victim to use her phone to coordinate a drop-off location at a McDonald's on Broadway where her friend picked her up. Reportedly, without ever seeing the suspects, the victim filed a report with MPD's SVU the next day, according to the department. License plate recognition technology determined that the Jeep's travel path after it left a parking garage in downtown Nashville. Investigators were also able to use LPR to identify Farmer and Castile, authorities said. On Cinco de Mayo, officers noticed Farmer and Castile, who was wanted on three unrelated warrants involving a narcotics transaction. The men fled the scene and officers caught up with Farmer, who had multiple drug baggies and cash on his person. 
Farmer and Castillo are each charged with aggravated rape, aggravated kidnapping, five counts of credit card theft. Farmer is also facing two counts of drug possession is being held without bond. Mugshots for the two suspects were not available at the time of their pub- this publication here. Uh, let's see. Well, let's see. Where did I get this story from? This is also Fox News. Let's see what we have in the comment section. Glad the license plate recognition worked for them. Here in Texas, we have seen an explosion of fake paper license plates. The dealership uses paper tags to allow a buyer to drive their car until the real plates come in. Bad actors are forging fake tags. We see them everywhere. That means the cars usually have no inspection and no insurance as well as identification is impossible. Texas is working to fix that. But it won't happen overnight, especially with Blue Austin. It's always political in these comments. It could be, it could be a, um, what am I saying? It could be a story about a snicker bar or something, and it's always red against blue. Biden is helping y'all out with allowing immigrant migrant workers into your state and allowing them cars with fake paper losses plates. Yeehaw! All right. I couldn't help it. Maybe I could. All right. That's all I have tonight. That is all I have for you. Thank you for tuning in. I appreciate it very much. Let's see. Am I missing anything? Some of the stories that you weren't able to see, uh, parts were cut out of them. It's because of, I don't know, YouTube's policies. I'm sorry. I have to go by community standards. Uh, It's not that things are illegal to show on YouTube. It's just, yeah. I'm not going to self-censor. Again, if you want to see the whole thing, this whole show uncensored, go to midnightrad.io, hit podcast. You can look at it there, see the latest episode or listen to it. Subscribe on Spotify. You can see the video there in better quality. Um, until next time, you can email me at midnightrad.io101 at gmail.com. That phone number has been up there the entire time i've been live here you can call 325-261-0892 leave me a voicemail message about some of the comments here some of the stories we've gone on some of the comments you've read on just whatever you want to talk about leave me a voicemail message there i'll play it on the show 325-261-0892 midnightrad.io101 at gmail.com until next time All my best.